Welcome to the Complete Engineering Podcast, brought to you by the College of Engineering. We are Nebraska, where we build complete engineers with the technical and non-technical skills to do big things. Visit us at engineering.unl.edu. Hello, we're with Bob Bielenberg and Cody Stoley with the Midwest Roadside Safety Facility. Uh, I am Matt Honke with the College of Engineering. And I'm Carl Vogel, also with the College of Engineering. And we're here today to, to talk about the Midwest Roadside uh, Safety Facility and just you know, some of the great things that they've done over the, the course of the, their history. This is an anniversary year for them, uh, the 20th year, I believe, of the, the Safer Barrier. From the uh, installation of the Safer Barrier at Indianapolis Motor Speedway in 1998, it has been one of the uh, biggest innovations in auto racing, uh, including saving numerous lives and preventing major injuries to drivers. Uh, but that's not all the Midwest Roadside Safety Facility does. Their work is seen all over the world and in basically every roadway in the country. And we would like to talk to Cody and Bob and get more information about what it is that they do and where we can see their work. So welcome, Cody. Welcome, Bob. Uh, we'll start with asking what work is being done right now at the, the Midwest Roadside Safety Facility to improve the lives of all people around the world. Sure. So our main focus really is highway safety. And uh, that's been our focus since the facility started back in the 80s. Um, What we're really looking to do is if a vehicle goes off the road, how do we keep that driver safe? So we try and design the roadside to be safer and whether that's making getting rid of hazards or obstacles that are on the side of the road. So if you go off the road, you don't impact them or designing barriers to keep you safe to keep you away from hazards on the side of the road. So we've been doing that for a lot of years, and that's been our main focus when it comes to, to the safety aspect. And then there's other things that we've looked at over time. Um, you mentioned the safer barrier. That's a pretty neat thing that we got an opportunity to do over time. Um, and, and Dr. Soley's done a lot of work looking at um, Department of Defense applications. Yeah, we have, uh, using the background in vehicle dynamics and crashworthiness, we were able to uh, design some very innovative features for um, the Department of, of Transportation and, and Department of Defense uh, protecting military installations from people who might be of nefarious intent, trying to uh, cause some havoc, maybe uh, destroy some buildings or harm some people. Um, we can safely guide them to the side of the road where their vehicle is disabled and where they can be captured, uh, while at the same time safely protecting those people who use the facilities every day. So that's, your work is not just here in the state of Nebraska. We're having an impact not nationally, but worldwide as well. It's not just Nebraska doing the work. You, you mentioned uh, earlier when we were talking uh, about another anniversary, this, this Midwest Pooled Fund Program. Can you kind of explain what that is and why Midwest is, is central in that? Yeah, the, the Midwest Pooled Fund Program started back in the late 80s, and the idea was at the time that a lot of states had roadside safety needs um, trying to get any one state to fund the crash testing and development of some of these these roadside safety applications is fairly expensive. So the idea was to get a group of states, and originally it was in the Midwest, so it started with Kansas and Iowa and Nebraska, and, and those states in Missouri, and trying to get them all together. So it started with a group of four to five states, and it's grown. Now it's 19 states, and our states range from California to New Jersey, and a lot of states in the middle of the country as well. And so Those states for the last 30 years have been funding. They get together, they bring all of their safety problems to us, and we talk to them about them, propose solutions to them, and then they prioritize which ones each year they want to do to try and address what's their highest priority needs. And right now, that's about a $1.2 million per year program of research funding. So it's it's probably the largest 
pooled fund program of its kind in the in in the country, and it, it really is addressing the safety needs for the entire country, not just Nebraska specifically. And you have a very unique facility, and we're not talking about the offices at Whittier Hall. It, it's you're talking about the testing facility you have out at the Lincoln Airport. What kind of work can you do out there to innovate in the field of uh, highway safety? The kinds of work that we like to do is really anything that's dynamic. If it if it impacts, if it crashes together. Uh, we can generally perform that. We have everything from real vehicles that we purchase on fleets to surrogate vehicles that we create, fabricate in-house, and we can use them over and over and over again, uh, doing some very challenging things. Uh, we can do speeds as low as 30 miles per hour or upwards as, as much as 180 for our safer tests. Um, we test vehicles from small cars all the way to semi-tractor trailers. Uh, so it's a very fully functional type of an environment. Um, and even beyond the crash testing, we do other types of tests that evaluate components where we don't even need a vehicle involved. We can measure uh, the properties of those components and see how they react under a dynamic environment and the types of materials um, that are used in those uh, components and evaluate and compare those. Yeah, I've had the pleasure of seeing three of the tests, and I've seen everything from a semi going into a safer barrier wall to a a pickup truck hitting a, a guardrail, and then the most recent one was knocking over some signs and just seeing, you know, how you guys measure it and everything. It's it's so fascinating to watch the the high speed cameras that you have, the the drones, everything. It's just an amazing uh, event to watch, even. So I'm sure I'm sure you guys get a lot out of each of those tests that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. It certainly never gets boring for us. <laughs> I've been doing it for 20 years, and I still get pretty excited on test day. Yeah, we can do. You know, the stuff, the, the information we collect in those tests is is it's very high tech research that we're doing out there. We're able to measure how the barrier reacts, how the vehicle reacts, whether or not the occupant would be safe. And like Cody said, that that can span a pretty broad spectrum of types of impacts. Um, and we we intend to extend that in the future. Right now, you know, we wrote the test, the crash testing standard. That document is what all the labs are using to test roadside hardware. And that will expand and we keep pushing the boundaries of what that document is going to include. So one of the things that, that we, Cody and I have looked at is, is looking at non-tracking impacts. Right now we do all our impacts as impacts of the vehicle tracking into a barrier in a straight line, essentially at different angles and speeds. One of the things we found through accident investigation is that's not necessarily true. Up to 40% of our impacts are actually vehicles that are spinning or non-tracking, not, not going straight into a barrier. That's something we want to expand on in the future. And I think with our test facility, again, as, as Cody mentioned, we've run tests that nowhere else has in the world. The, the stuff that we did for the safer barrier, those are, as far as I know, no one's ever tested over 70 miles an hour. We did 150 plus miles an hour. So uh, we also think we can throw things into a, into barriers, uh, vehicles into barriers in non-tracking tracking impacts where they'll be spinning and yawing as they impact the barrier. So that's one of kind of the next steps. So we keep trying to Every year, every time we get new research, try and kind of push the envelope of what we can test and how we test it and trying to collect better data. And It sounds like it'd be kind of fun. You, you get to think up ways to destroy cars and trucks, right? It was like every little kid's dream when you're is, is crashing your Tonka trucks or your Hot Wheels, right? You guys are actually doing it and saving lives and, and, and a benefit. Is that what got you into this field? Is your love for cars or was it? You're wanting to solve problems. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can say that uh, when I first started my research at Midwest, one of the first projects I did was to evaluate real crashes, a uh, federal database of some real crashes and, and the types of impacts and the conditions that we saw. 
And from that, I was deeply affected uh, to see the devastation it can cause when, when a car hits something that it wasn't supposed to hit, something near the side of the road. Uh, trees are the number one killer of, of drivers who are on the side of the road. If they impact a tree or a utility pole, 3,500 deaths every year for trees and 1,000 more for utility poles, it's a substantial problem and it hasn't gone away in 40 years. And it's the types of, of very heartbreaking crashes that really motivated me to go deeper, uh, to work with all of the staff in, in Midwest and to expand that research, uh, covering everything from barrier design to safer road features and slopes and bridge spans and features that are resilient to uh, impact from trucks that are occurring underneath the bridge uh, and to really push the envelope, like Bob said, go where people haven't gone before and really make the entire transportation grid safer. Yeah, I think one of the aspects, at least for me, that's that's kept me interested in the facility, there's obviously the safety aspect and the aspect that you're helping keep people safe and that, you know, it's very satisfying on that level. The other aspect is it's very technical, it's very difficult, and the problem's always changing. So one of the things when I was in school, you know, when I was I was a mechanical engineering student, and I told myself, I really like mechanical engineering, I don't want to design car door handles for the next 30 years. And you can do that, and that's a great thing. Somebody has to design door handles. I didn't want to do that for my long-term job. So one of the benefits of working in a research place like this is that problem always changes. You can move the problems to what is most important and what's the highest priority in our field and keep kind of pushing the boundaries. And that that keeps the job very interesting. And it is very technical. One of the things that got me interested is that we're one of the, the main centers in the country that does computer simulation work for roadside crashes. So we use a program called LS Dyna, which is the auto industry uses, sports industries use. Um, it's the cutting edge on computer simulation so we can model the crashes before and after we run them to learn more about them. That's stuff that you don't get at every university in the country. And so it, that was another thing. You know, we, it's very technical. It has a satisfying goal and outcome. And the problem's always changing, so that that makes it a great place to work every day. Well, this is the uh, Complete Engineering Podcast, and that's in reference to the Complete Engineering Initiative we have here at the University of Nebraska. It's made up of six main competencies, intercultural appreciation, leadership, self-management, service and civic responsibility, teamwork, and understanding of engineering ethics. I guess, you know, going over those those six, I'm sure that every one of them are touched on within the the Midwest uh, roadside facility. But uh, how would you say, how does it help develop complete engineers? Definitely an aspect of our complete engineers is that we try to take new young engineers, expose them not only to the research world, but also to their professional responsibilities to that world that we live in. Uh, We feel it's a very important aspect of our lives to train students into leaders, to be the next managers, to be the next uh, decision makers of the future. And so our students are trained to handle decisions, to complete their own projects from start to end, to conduct their own planning, and to look out for who they're around and how they can enrich the lives of those who are near to them, and to look out for safety reasons and the underlying causes for the real problems. If I'm a student and I'm interested in working at the Midwest Roadside Safety Facility, how do I go about making contact with the people that can uh, help me get that goal achieved? Sure. We've got a website, and that's probably the easiest way to generally get a hold of us. And again, it, we're on the university directories and things, so that's that's fairly straightforward. But we take engineers, um, 
Cody's a good example. Cody started working for us when we were what eighteen. Yeah, yeah. Freshman, <laughs> yeah. Freshman so I mean, you can. We we've had one of the things we do is we kind of develop a lot of our engineers in house, and so we have undergrad students do a, a lion's share of our work in analyzing test data. And as a matter of fact, we can't do it without our student workers. Um, there's our full time staff is fairly small. The students are make up the majority of our staff, so. Um, our students are the ones who put our CAD drawings together for our systems. They're the ones that help us analyze the test data. They're out there on test days documenting tests. That's mostly the undergrad students, and then our graduate students are actually working on projects. So, you know, undergraduate students that have worked for me, we essentially, they come in, and the projects we're talking about that come through the pool fund or through NASCAR or whatever these different groups are that fund work with us, they basically run those projects with our mm-hmm. mentorship, for lack of a better term. So we've had students that essentially they're, they're doing everything from researching the background of the problem, trying to talk with the sponsor and deal with them. They also, you know, update the sponsor on the progress. They do the design work. They're out there on test day, very mm-hmm. nervously watching to see <laughs> if their system works, you know, and then they actually on the back end have to write it up and report it and summarize it for the sponsors. So, that for us, that's a big part of being a complete engineer is hopefully, especially for the grad students, they get to see all the phases of an engineering problem, not just doing some research and feeding it to a professor. Ours is um, a little broader than that in the sense that we work more like a, you know, a specific engineer for our for our research is more applied. So a lot of the things we do, they do a lot more direct, probably interaction with clients than your average graduate student at the university. So I think we give them a pretty good breadth. And our students work all over the country. You know, I was we, just going to ask, yeah, that. Where, it, where have some of your students gone it's on to? pretty amazing. They'll go all over. We have, just in the last few years, we've had guys that are working at Sandia National Labs, at Caterpillar. We've had guys go work for professional golf companies. Um, so it's it's kind of all over the map, really, um, and engineering consultants. Uh, so it's Volkswagen, Volvo, John Deere, uh, UP. And, and large civil firms as well, because a lot of the civil structural stuff ties very closely with what we do. So, yeah, it's it's a pretty broad range where, the, where those guys get to go. And so it's it's we think it's a good opportunity for them, mm-hmm. for sure. Now, you, you'd mentioned solving problems is one of the reasons you're in this. And the world keeps changing all the time. The technologies in every industry change. So it creates new problems and new opportunities. What sorts of problems would you both like to see solved or be a part of solving? Sure. So I've got a couple ideas. I'm sure Cody has plenty too. Like I said, there's a lot of problems always in this field and it constantly evolves. One of the things in a general sense that we're always trying to do is improve the barriers that are on the side of the road. So, and that's obviously been one of our main focuses for years, but that problem doesn't go away because as the vehicle fleet changes and the needs of the state DOTs and the highway oversight folks change over time, so does the needs of the barriers. So things that we're looking at over time is how do we design those barriers to better match up with the vehicle fleet as it changes over time? You know, right now vehicles are heavier and have higher center of gravities than they ever have. We keep adopting our barriers to deal with those. And then we also have to keep dealing with small cars and older vehicles in the fleet. So we're trying to do that. We're also trying to always make the barriers more functional, more cost effective, and better apply to whatever their specific you know needs are at the state level, and then make them safer on top of that. We always want the safety and performance to improve too. So we're always looking 
looking at that. And then, like you mentioned, we're looking at new technologies as well that go with that. So as new materials come out, new you know, different ways to construct those barriers, we're looking at things like advanced precast bridge rails that we can assemble more quickly than we can, like cast-in-place construction that's typically been used. Um, we think there's new materials for guardrails and other types of barriers that we can apply. We're also looking at the future of barrier design as vehicles and infrastructure start to communicate more with with network technologies. Um, there's vehicle-to-structure communications that we can use to potentially do things like smart barriers. So instead of the first line of defense when you run off the road being a physical barrier, there may be a a smart barrier that actually communicates with your vehicle, detects an impact, and actually tries to steer your vehicle away or or change how the vehicle response is before you actually hit something off the side of the road. And that's kind of the next generation of safety devices. And that's that's not two or three years away. That's long term looking down the road. But those are the kind of things that we're looking at in the future because we all see that the cars are becoming more connected and they're interacting with each other and they're detecting collisions with each other. Can we do the same kind of things with our infrastructure and our safety barriers? I think we can. And that's probably a pretty big step towards the future. One of the things about the complete engineer initiative that the, the university is stressing to the students is life outside of being an engineer. You've got to have a work-life balance. So when you guys are not at the Midwest Roadside Safety Facility. How do you unwind? What kind of hobbies do you guys have? Yeah, for me, um, you know, I have I have two children. One's 13 and one's nine. So that's a pretty busy hobby. I, most of the students that are listening won't have children, but uh, you'll find out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a real thing. And, and so they keep me very busy um, between all of their activities and things that we do with them. Um, and, uh, and then when you work, uh, one thing about engineering is it's somewhat of a desk job. So I like to get out and run and bike whenever I can get a chance to do that kind of thing, too. It, it keeps me from, from getting too old too fast. And I know several of us do a lot of community service. I'm active with my with my church and with different children's groups around the area to help some underprivileged youth. And that's where I spend an awful lot of my evenings uh, helping out with these kids. All right, so we like to do at the very end here a, a lightning round a series of questions of 60 seconds. It's not an official time, but... Just have a little fun. Just have a little bit of fun with it here. Uh, since we have Bob and Cody here, we're just going to go from one to the next here. So we're going to start with Cody. Car or truck? Uh, truck. Have you ever used a slide rule? No. First video game you owned? Uh, Mario Brothers. Favorite musical genre? Punk rock. How fast can you change a flat tire? Uh, Ten minutes. What was your favorite toy growing up? Transformers. If you could time travel to when would you go? Uh, dawn of the United States. On a scale of 1 to 10, how strict were your parents? Six. Do you know how to run a VCR? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> favorite NASCAR driver? Harvick, because I met him. Chocolate or vanilla? Oh, chocolate. Saturday or Sunday? Oh, Saturday for sure. What's your pet peeve? Uh, drivers. <laughs> Pancakes or waffles? Waffles. Herbie Husker or Lil Red? Herbie all the way. All right. <laughs> all right. Uh, we want again want to thank uh, Bob Bielenberg and Cody Stoley for joining us from the Midwest Roadside Safety Facility. Uh, you can learn more about the Midwest Roadside Safety Facility at mwrsf.unl.edu. Guys, thanks for coming. Thank all you, right. guys. Thank you for having mm-hmm. us. Thank you for listening to the Complete Engineering Podcast. For more information, visit us at engineering.unl.edu.